0: Imagine that I could put you in a time machine, transport you back to 1927, and give you a ticket to watch one of the greatest baseball players ever. Now, this athlete could play any position, thanks to a cannon arm and unnatural swiftness. His combination of speed and control made him one of the most feared pitchers of his day. And his bat was just as dreaded. Most seasons, he finished with a batting average over 300. His knowledge of the game was unrivaled, and he could manage a team with superior ability. This player was eventually enshrined in not one, but five Hall of Fames around the world. He was compared to Joe DiMaggio, Roberto Clemente, and Babe Ruth. You'd take that ticket in a second, right? Well, if you grew up in the United States during this time, you most likely never heard this gentleman's name. Because he never played a single game in Major League Baseball. But if you followed baseball outside the United States, during this time you'd know exactly who this is El Maestro, El Inmortal. The story of Martin Diego, today on Rounders A History of Baseball in America. And happy Sunday, everybody. I'm Jeff Lambert. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. This episode profile is probably one of the strongest cases of what if I've ever come across. Martin Diego had an amazing career in Cuba, Mexico, Venezuela, and the United States Negro Leagues. Those that saw him play knew he was special. One of the greats that deserved to be on that big stage. He could take anybody on. He was a natural five-point player. He had killer speed, a cannon arm, and a deadly bat. He was a guy that could play second base and center field like an all-star, but he could also pitch a no-hitter. I mean, what could Martin have done if he had played against guys like Babe Ruth or Lou Gehrig or Lefty Grove? Uh, There's many players we can say this for. Guys that were kept out simply because of the color of their skin. But Martin is a legend. He's a god not only to Cubans, his homeland, but to baseball fans outside the U.S. who had a chance to see him play. On top of that, Martin seems, on all recorded accounts that I could find, to have been a genuinely good guy. And that's a fact we like to skip over when we talk about the personal lives of other Hall of Famers during the same era, so I think that deserves some mention as well. I've really enjoyed learning about Martin during this time, and I hope you enjoy his story too. So let's get to it. Martin Diego was born in 1905 in Matanzas, Cuba. His father was a sergeant in the guerrilla army that fought for Cuba's independence in the 1890s. Now Martin took to baseball early, but his dad did not approve of his son's obsession at first. He believed that Martin's time should be better spent learning a trade. So he made Martin take up woodworking, which Martin did not like at all, but he picked it up to try and appease his dad. It didn't stick, though. Martin spent any free time he could playing baseball. But free time wasn't very common. See, Martin had to work. And beginning at a young age, he did so to support his family. In fact, in fifth grade, he dropped out of school just to help earn more money but baseball continued to be his true love. His family didn't live far from the famous Palmar del Junco baseball park. And that's a revered site that's still preserved to this day. The park hosted the earliest Cuban baseball game on record all the way back to 1874. And he grew up right near this baseball Mecca. And I'm sure some of that magic definitely rubbed off onto his game at age 13, 13, Martin joined a youth baseball league. He stood out from his peers even at that young age because he could pitch, hit, and play multi-positions. He eventually caught the eye of Habana manager Mike Gonzalez, and Gonzalez offered Martin a spot on his squad for the 1922 season. Now, Martin's continuing story is filled with perseverance, and success didn't come in his early years because he was played sparingly, and he was often overmatched by the talent on Cuba's major league circuit. Remember, Martin is just 17 right now. In his first season, he hit just 179, and the only reason he was kept on the roster was because of his defensive abilities. But during this time in Habana, Martin met another Cuban league player named Palayo Chacon, Now, Chacon told him about the Negro Leagues in the United States and convinced him to come play abroad when their season in Cuba was over. So Martin, who later shared in his 1990 biography, El Inmortal de Baseball, he said that, quote, I had to ask my family for permission since I was still underage. I'm grateful to Mike Gonzalez, my manager, for letting me go and for Palayo Chacon and Bartolo Portundo, who guided me to the United States. I played for the Cuban Stars in my first season. I was paid $100 a month. I learned to unravel, bit by bit, the secrets of playing baseball well. End quote. So with that, Martin came to the United States with his teammates, and he signed on with the Cuban Stars of the Eastern Colored League. His first season was one spent as a student of the game and he was not afraid to take that role. His effort was rewarded when he got a raise from $100 to $125 for the following season. And he continued to grow his skills and learn from his peers. And in that second season, it started to show. He posted 10 home runs. And keep in mind, he was still only 18 years old. He spent the next 9 years playing in various African American leagues around the United States. But this time of Martin's career wasn't really about celebrity yet. It was about growth. And he accepted that reality graciously on a season-by-season basis. And there's a lesson here, my young ballplayers who are listening, about perseverance because Martin had raw talent, but he had to work to hone those skills. He didn't try to run before he could walk. His life became baseball. He would spend spring through fall in the United States, And winters in the Cuban leagues. And in those early years, his batting slowly improved, but his reputation really began to grow thanks to his amazing defensive abilities at any position on the field. Author and saber historian Peter C. Barkman had this to say about Martin's defensive prowess. Quote, first, you simply could not hit a ball by him in the infield. Second, it was not difficult to throw a curveball right past this overanxious youngster. His speed and range around second base drew high praise from sports writers on the Negro League circuit, and despite weak hitting, he was quickly hailed as the best Cuban import since Moundaise Jose de la Caridad Mendez." End quote. Oh, let's talk about that curveball. See, Martin had some serious troubles at the plate in his 20s with that pitch. But again, his willingness to compete against himself won out. The Baseball Hall of Fame has a quote from Martin during a conversation with his hitting coach during this time period. Martin said to his coach, quote, Don't throw me any more fastballs. I can hit them like anything. Throw me curves. End quote. And you know what? His perseverance paid off. Diego eventually made himself into one of the game's premier curveball hitters. By 1926, he led the league in home runs, and he hit 421. In Cuba, during his winter games, his batting average began at about .300 in 1925, and it soared to .450 by 1927. Martin was now an established position player and hitter. But Martin decided to turn his baseball studies to an area he played sparingly during this time in the Negro Leagues, but showed natural talent for, and that was pitching. And just as his time in the Negro Leagues improved his defense and hitting, his mound work would improve while spending time in another country. So in 1932, Martin decided to play in Venezuela. It was here for the next three years that Martin grew as a pitcher. During his first season with Concordia, he threw a no-hitter with 14 strikeouts. In 1933, he went 6-0 and struck out 101 batters on 60 pitches. Also that season, he threw another no-hitter. And keep in mind, the leagues in South America and the Caribbean during this time played shorter schedules. His full stats during this part of his career are incomplete. But Martin dominated during this time in Venezuela, all while committing to his growth as an all-around ball player. With a strong pitching portfolio under his belt, he returned to North America to continue his already impressive career. Let's take a quick break for the 7th inning stretch. If you're enjoying this podcast, please, please take a moment to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rounders Podcast. That's Rounders Podcast, one word. You'll get photos, quotes, and short event summaries from baseball's rich past in your feed on a regular basis. I also want to hear from you about topics you'd like to see covered, so keep in touch and follow me. You can also support me through my new podcasting platform, a service called Anchor. They have a secure payment option through Stripe, a trusted name in online payments. So you can support me safely and easily simply by going to anchor.fm forward slash rounders. I'm currently raising funds to buy a new microphone, so your donations this month will go directly towards that. If you decide to support me during January and February, I will gladly mention your name in a future podcast as a thank you for your support. Again, just go to anchor.fm forward slash rounders a link is also available in the show notes that's all for now let's get back to the show welcome back everybody so just to recap martin was raised in cuba he was discovered at a very young age as a teenager and during his early years he spent a lot of time focusing on improving his game but there was one area that really stood out and that was his defensive ability now, he eventually made a move to the United States, enjoyed the United States Negro Leagues, playing for several different teams, and he spent the first 10 years or so of his career really trying to improve his overall game. And his defense came naturally, but he had to work on his batting. And towards the end of the 1920s, he decided to make a decision to move to another country to be able to focus on rounding out another area of his game, his pitching, which he did in Venezuela. So now we pick up the story. He's played dominantly in Venezuela as a pitcher, and he's ready to come back to the United States. So Martin returns to the United States in 1935 with the New York Cubans. This time, he's a position player and a pitcher, and for the first time, a manager. Yeah, that's right. The defensive standout, power-hitting pitcher, is now a role-playing player-manager. And he's doing it with his old team, the New York Cubans. Now keep in mind, Martin is only 31 years old right now. 31. He's known as a star in three countries, and he has a wealth of baseball knowledge. That season, Martin primarily played right field and pitcher, but he also spent a little time in his natural position, which was second base. And he finished the season batting .372, and he also amassed a 7-3 and pitching record And he led his club to the championship series. He also finished second in all-star voting that season. And there's one journalist during this time that went on record saying, quote, Martin Diego is head and shoulders above his competition for the right field berth. He's the greatest in that position in the country. He has the greatest throwing arm in baseball. And when he hits one on the nose, it's headed for distant parts, end quote. In that All-Star game, Martin showed his true versatility. He started in center field, batted third in a power-laden lineup, and he finished the game on the mound against the West's best sluggers. Martin decided to play one more season in the United States, and then he decided to accept a lucrative contract to go play down in the Dominican Republic. But his time in the Negro Leagues, if you look at what he did before he went to Venezuela and the two seasons after, really stands as an impressive run. And we'll take a look at the total numbers at the end of the episode. But let's talk about his move to the Caribbean and then eventually to Mexico. So in 1937, Martin split his time in the Dominican Republic between two different ball clubs, Santo Domingo and Aquilas. He finished that season in nineteen thirty seven with a three fifty one batting average, which was third best in the league. but on the mound he also went six and four, which was the second highest in the league. He accounted for almost half of his team's victories in what was only a short twenty eight game season so not only was he serviceable behind the plate but on the mound he was dominant as well now Martin kept his same pattern of playing. Uh, in the United States and other leagues during the spring and summer, and he almost always went back to Cuba to play winter baseball. And so he did the same in 1936 and 1937. But he went back this time as a player manager, and he ended up winning the league titles in both those years. In fact, it's been claimed that Diego's international popularity, which had grown to quite some extent now, was attracting large numbers of Negro League stars to come play winter baseball in Cuba, and that stretched all the way through the 1930s and the 1940s. Now, in 1938, Martin decided to sign with the Veracruz Ball Club in Mexico, and he kept up this new pattern of being a player-manager. So, during the 1938 season, he posted a three hundred eighty seven batting average, and he also was first in the league in pitching, putting up a record of eighteen and two with a point nine ERA. Wow. In nineteen forty, a year after leading Veracruz to the league championship, he hit three sixty-four with a five forty nine slugging percentage, and he also registered an eight and six pitching record with a three point five four ERA. Not bad. During his time in Mexico, He pitched the league's first recorded no-hitter, he set the single-game strikeout record with 18, and he regularly finished at the top of the list in hitting, and he also won multiple league championships there as a manager. Now Martin's starting to get into his late 30s. In 1942, at age 38, Martin posted a 16-8 record on the mound. That was with a 3.1 ERA, and a league-leading 134 strikeouts. And by the way, in case you were wondering, he still hit 277 at the plate. Martin's last season came in 1950, at the age of 45. Major League Baseball had finally integrated, thanks to Jackie Robinson. But the sun had set on this player, known by his fans as El Maestro. So we've talked a lot about Martin's career and really being a case for perseverance in in, in an athlete. And there's also an aspect of Martin's career that should also be talked about just as widely. And that was his reputation as a warm and friendly and all around good person to his teammates and his fans. Throughout his career, Martin had this tradition where he would take the last utilized ball and he would toss it into the outfield bleachers for a fan to catch. He was quoted as saying, quote, It's there that the poorest of fans sit. End quote. And as a player, he was more than happy to share his knowledge of the game with younger players. He would put his ego aside to help them grow. Armando Vasquez, who was a fellow Cuban who played in the Negro Leagues alongside Martin, he said in an interview that quote, he knew a lot about baseball. He had so much experience. He would tell me about playing in Yankee Stadium and the polo grounds. He would call me Chiquito, little boy. And he would say, Chiquito, do this. Do it this way. He could teach you anything. First base, pitching, third base. He was the most popular player in Cuba. He did everything. There was no one like Martin Diego. The Baseball Hall of Fame's dedication page the one specifically for Martin says, quote, The easygoing Diego became extremely popular with his teammates, at least in part because of his fluent English. He was extremely knowledgeable and willingly shared his vast store of baseball knowledge. He was soon called upon to be a player manager. His feel for the game and his understanding for the players made him a star in that venue as well. End quote. There's another story that really shows Martin's personality. And this happened in his later years, when he was playing in Mexico. So the owner of Martin's team during that time had managed to sign a major league player named George Hausman. Now, Hausman was a guy who could not only compete with Martin as the team's star, but Hausman was also a symbol of the league that refused to let Martin play with them, simply because of the color of Martin's skin. So George Hausman shows up for his first day with his new club. And he meets Martin for the first time. Now, Houseman recounts in an interview, and he says that, quote, I joined Torreón in Mexico City early in April, a few games into the season. When I arrived at the park, a photographer wanted to take a picture of me with Diego. Martin was very considerate. I would have been greatly honored to have taken a picture with him. But he wanted me to get the star treatment and he stepped aside and told the photographer to take a picture of me by myself." End quote. I think this story, more than any of the ones that I read about Martin, really showed the core of his character. He was out there to play baseball. If you were there for the same reason, he welcomed you with open arms. So let's take a look at Martin's overall legacy. And when you zoom back and you look at his full career stats, They really are awe-inspiring. Diego posted 107 wins and 57 losses over his short seasons in Cuba in the winter. During his time in Mexico, he racked up 119 wins as a pitcher. So when you count in his stats from Venezuela and the Negro Leagues to his time in Mexico and Cuba, his career record stands at 288 wins and 142 losses. So let's look at that in the scope of other Hall of Famers. If you put those stats up, that means that there's only two other Hall of Famers that have better pitching records. Lefty Grove and Whitey Ford. And keep in mind, they were both career pitchers who only played one position. Martin played all nine. At the plate, Martin stands out as well as one of the greats. It's hard to get a true lock on his raw numbers just because of where he played. Most Negro League and Caribbean stadiums, they had either really long outfield fences or they didn't have fences at all. In addition, those Caribbean and South American leagues that he played for played much shorter seasons, so that impacted his numbers. But even with those factors, and and remember there's some missing stats from multiple seasons, especially when he was in Venezuela, but Martin, from what we can gather, has a three hundred seventeen lifetime average from his time in Mexico. He has a 300 uh, plus batting average throughout his entire career in Cuba and in the Negro Leagues. He has more than 130 career home runs. And he has 11 seasons for which his home run numbers are entirely missing. So that's a huge chunk of time where we don't have his home run numbers. But 130 just from what we've been able to find. And keep in mind, that's in ballparks where there's either a deep fence or no fence at all. But we can fill in some of those gaps by looking at some other uh, interviews from players that played alongside Diego. So let's look at a couple of those. Because some of the hitting feats that are uh, mentioned with with Martin involved, they're borderline legendary. So uh, there's a Negro Leagues historian by the name of John Hallway. And he reported on one ex-blackball ace, a guy named schoolboy Johnny Taylor. And this gentleman witnessed a Diego line drive that nearly decapitated a paralyzed shortstop, then slammed against the outfield fence before the amazed infielder could raise his hands in apparent self-defense. He said, quote, a foot lower and it would have killed that panicked outfielder, end quote. One of Diego's most celebrated blasts not only cleared the center field wall in a rural Cuban field, but reportedly sailed over a weather vane atop a house 40 feet beyond the fence. So that would have put that shot at about 500 feet in distance. Buck Leonard, who was a teammate of Martin in the Negro Leagues, recounted a game where he saw him blast a home run in Pittsburgh's Greenleaf Field, that sailed better than 500 feet before landing on an adjacent hospital rooftop. So, just from gathering those and putting them in, we can see that Martin had power to spare when it came to being able to hit the ball. And we knew that he could hit the fastball and the curveball because he was willing to develop his game. And on top of his pitching skill and his hitting skill, Martin was known to be good at all nine positions on the field. As a manager, he won multiple league championships in different countries. In Cuba, Mexico, Venezuela, and in the Negro Leagues, he was known to take most of his teams to title games or deep into the playoffs on a regular basis. Now, the highest form of praise I think a player can get is what his peers have to say about him. So let's take that into account, too. Buck Leonard, who was often dubbed the Black Lou Gehrig, said this about Martin Diego. He said, quote, The greatest all-around player I know, I'd say he has to be the best player of all time, black or white. He could do it all. He's my ideal ball player. Makes no difference what race, either. If he's not the greatest, I don't know who is. You take your roots... Cobbs and DiMaggio's, give me Diego and I bet I'd beat you almost every time, end quote. Author Lou Hernandez states in his book, Baseball's Greatest Hispanic Pitchers, that, quote, a decade after his death, a poll was taken among his living peers and historians that placed Diego as the greatest second baseman in Negro Leagues history. He also received many votes as best all-time outfielder and third baseman a permanent memorial to his masterful dexterity. Negro League's Hall of Famer, Cool Papa Bell, called Diego the most complete player he had ever seen. Martin Diego's abilities, accomplishments, positive attitude, and perseverance to play the game no matter the barriers has earned him enshrinement into five separate baseball halls of fame. He's the only Hall of Famer to have played all nine positions. He's the only player in baseball history to get a win as a pitcher, hit the game-winning hit, and coach the winning squad in a single game. He also, unfortunately, accomplished these feats outside of the mainstream spotlight, simply because he was a dark-skinned Cuban instead of a light-skinned Cuban. But he continued to play, continued to coach, continued to inspire. And for that reason he will always be to those that study his career and accomplishments El Maestro, the Master, and El Inmortal, the Immortal One. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball.